1: Hey, Frankie. Hey, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> this is the perfect start. <laughs> it's just like becoming a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Hey, name. Hey, name. And then I go.
2: <laughs> what do we? What do we My start? How laugh. else do you start though? Like, suck mother. Like, what do you? How do you, how do you begin? Otherwise, <laughs>
1: yeah, my day to do that one next time.
2: Okay, challenge accepted. <laughs>
1: in Poirot's accent.
2: Oh God, with a coin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> By the way, upcoming episode, we're talking about tragedy of Master Manner. Yes. This time, I have to say, I did notice a scene where Poirot has to book it down the street, <laughs> and I, yes, I thought, wow, he's really got some glutes to keep that. Coin I was in. gonna.
2: I actually did. In my notes, there was one scene as well that I was like, I hope the coin's okay. <laughs> I wonder where it is. I wonder where it is. Uh, it's probably internalised at that point. I didn't need to do the action, you know. With <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've
1: got <gotcha. laughs> It was great to have Therese on last week. It
2: was. It? Really, really fun. Yeah,
1: she's lovely. Yes. And um, yeah, was, uh, Wasp's Nest has set the bar high. But, um, spoiler alert, this one's pretty good too. Yeah. Anyway. We'll get into that in a minute. Do we have any correspondence? Oh, we
2: sure do. We've got loads, actually. So brace yourself sitting comfortably, question mark. I am. Well, then I, I shall am. begin. <laughs> so we had uh, a message from CJ and mm. they say, did I hear Adam say he was also a fan of Jeeves and Worcester at one point?
1: Oh, he sure did, yeah.
2: Yeah. If so, mm. has he considered who would win in a battle of the say's between Bertie Wooster and Hastings, a hue off, if you like? <laughs> Loving the podcast well, started from the beginning again, so I'm playing catch up, and that's from CJ.
1: Oh, yeah. Gosh, who would win a battle of the, uh, <sighs> the icees? Very a tough different say's aren't they? Yes. Equally as powerful and piercing. I like Hastings because it's genuinely astonished every time. Yes. <laughs> just can't.
2: I feel like Worc- Worcesters is more like, because of his breeding, it's kind of just inherent yeah. and it's more kind of I say, like passe, like mm. kind of in passing. But yeah, you're right with Hugh. It's it's emphatic, his I say's, mm. that gives it more power. Yeah.
1: He's like Victor Meldrew. He just he just cannot quite believe this Exactly. <laughs> <It's> happening. <laughs> That's why he says, I Hey,
2: I can't fathom that this is occurring.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why has this happened to me? This unbelievable thing.
2: <laughs> oh, catchy lines from Renwick. But can you do? Yeah. Can you do an impression of both uh, Hastings no. and Worcester? Okay, good. Um, so the next, <laughs> the next email we had was from Rachel, and she says, "Hi, Frankie and Adam. I was feeling pretty depressed after finishing the Plymouth Express episode." And we so happy to have your podcast to listen to immediately afterwards to lighten my mood. I thought the viewer got too much information seeing the lead up to Florence's death. So, some spoilers. If you haven't listened to, listened to our Plymouth uh, Express episode, go do that before mm. you hear this uh, because we've got spoilers. Spoilers ahead.
1: And also, if you're listening to this one first anyway, then
2: damn defensive. Doing, Ethan?
1: <laughs> <laughs> damn defence. you're damned
3: offensive do it
2: in the order I
3: say good lord <laughs> she said
2: I thought the viewer got too much information seeing the lead up to Florence's murder the brief shot of Florence looking up and, get- and giving a confused polite smile to a man who opened her compartment door made it very obvious she didn't know him she wouldn't have reacted that way to her husband or the compte the eleventh hour introduction of Mackenzie didn't feel like fair play. Surely Jap could have grumbled at the beginning that the episode about um, of the episode about a thief he was chasing to give us some hint. I think you're absolutely mm. right that Jane Mason should have been the sole criminal mastermind. Anyway, I love your podcast and can't wait for the next episode. Best Rachel from Maryland, USA. Wow,
1: I totally agree, uh, Rachel. And we yeah we made heavy mention of that, didn't we? Mm-hmm. The whole the whole denouement of that episode is a little bit
2: what Yeah,
1: (laughs) but it's a great episode and i really like it and i like as i say the emotional heft is all there but the whole Mackenzie thing is just like yeah so lazy
2: you can tell that that christy looked at that and thought i can do that better and then that's when the mystery of the blue train she nailed it Mm. spoilers she absolutely nailed it uh we have another email and the subject line is bonjour from france not belgium wow yeah reversed it
1: (laughs) they use the word from in france that's very good uh This
2: is from clementine clementine apologies clementine teen um on time team it sounds like i'm saying
1: i'm staying out of this i'm just
3: gonna let frankie dig her own grave
2: damn it uh damn defensive
3: you're damn defensive uh
2: she says hello frankie and adam i decided this summer to do a rewatch of the david Suchet series as is my wont." This led me down a rabbit hole of internet searches, which led me to your wonderful podcast. You were both so lovely, and it's so much fun to listen to you talk about this cherished series. Now, full disclaimer, I'm old, brackets, hence the email. And I'm even, gasp, older than Adam by three years, I believe.
3: You're 167.
2: (laughs) Wow, that's damn offensive.
3: You're damned offensive. I'm
2: sure she looks, doesn't look a day over 134. Uh, She said, I watched the series. Also, from its first airing in France, it was in 1990 when I was 16 slash 17. By that time, I had already read most of Agatha Christie's books. Although I first read slash watched everything in French, I absolutely detest French dubbing of Anglo-Saxon content. I would. I'm an English teacher. However, I must admit they did a great job dubbing Suchet for the French version. They used a very famous actor called Roger Carrel, who also dubbed Comet the Frog.
1: Whoa. Whoa. That's a... That's a pub trivia quiz question waiting That is good, yeah. <laughs>
2: and I was, I'm not going to make the stupid joke. It was too stupid. Uh, just to underline what a dusty. Go on. I was going to say it's a big leap, frog. Um, I just, <laughs> I told you, I tried <laughs> to, to bury that. Uh, and just to underline what a an dusty ancient viewer slash <laughs> listener I am, I've included a photo of how I watch Poirot. And it's the DVD box set, which I also have, Clementine slash Time. Mm-hmm. So you're not that old.
1: Ah, oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's a nice one. I
2: have that set as well. And she says, Treasured Physical Media. Keep up the good work. Messy Boku And it's from Caroline. Oh, your email said Clementine. I apologize. Caroline's a lot easier. Could have led with that. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you, Caroline. And uh, you're not old at all. And DVD is still a very valid format. Wouldn't you agree, Adam?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't own any, but yeah you do you I I, I I do vinyls so yeah I, I sometimes i don't even open them i just collect them and put them on the shelf and still in their wrapper and someone says oh, she listen to it. no you shan't
2: how it? do the the uh the records fit in your in your dvd player <laughs> <Anyway. Hey. laughs>
1: you're on fire today oh and thank you for the email carol and thank you for making me feel even older and
2: i did <laughs> anyway there you go we're all old here we're all old souls i think if you enjoy poirot you're probably a bit of an old soul anyway so so anyway another email from rachel another rachel and the title is big four burning question it says hi frankie and adam i was going to hold off on asking this until you made it to the big four episode but hearing that it's adam's favorite book and adaptation i can't resist asking now so potential spoilers for people that don't know that one or haven't got to it yet or haven't read it okay so switch off or skip if you do that which absurd plot twist do you wish the adaptation hadn't cut? Mine is Poirot and Hastings tied up in a basement and getting out with a maybe fake cigarette blowgun, but the f- <laughs> fake twin brother, Achilles, <laughs> is a close second.
1: Mm. Um, I, the, the ending was drastically changed, wasn't it? Yes. Because, because it goes very James Bond in the book. Yes. It's, it's crazy. There's like a secret lair and, <laughs> in a, beneath a mountain and everything. And I was kind of hoping they were going to do that, but, <laughs> but um, obviously, you know, we couldn't done that with a with a TV budget. So I, I kind of, I was kind of, when they got to the end, I was like, I'm sure this isn't what happened in the book. And then I, um, then I realised, obviously, they had to. But I think what Mark did with the script, Mark Gates, sorry, did with the script is very clever as well. So yes, um, it is. Yes. it's a fantastic. It's it's like Bond meets Sparrow. it's like that kind of vibe all the way through it's like a spy thriller with loads of little mysteries and <laughs> it's great I love
2: it yeah it's a good one that will be fun to get to but when we get to that one we're near the end because that's mm. right down the line even though it was written it's a lot right, earlier though.
1: it's in the last series isn't yeah. it because there was such a big thing because another spoiler alert Jap <laughs> Hastings and Quara back together for that one oh. and it was and it when it when it was advertised as the big four everyone went you're damn right it's the big, <laughs> <The> big <four." laughs> white haven four am i right guys <laughs> yeah that
2: will be bittersweet yeah. when we get to that one but yeah. worth a journey um so we had also some submissions on our social channels oh by the way if you want to send an email to us please do so at bonjour at the labors of Vercule.com because we'll read it out and we love to get them so it's worth doing but if you don't do email, then social channels are a good option B. Uh, labors of Hercule on, uh, I was say Twitter. Is it still Twitter? Whatever. Whatever it's called. That one. Yeah, that, that one. <laughs> that one. The dark one. And threads and Instagram. So yeah, plenty of mm. options. But we had a few come in through anyway. And actually, this, this one I'm going to read out is two slightly similar questions. Uh, one from A Time for Film. And they say, who are your favorite Poirot villains and why? But we also had a, a submission from Tom Edward ninety one, who said, "In all of the Agatha Christie Poirot episodes, which murderer slash crime committer is the most sympathetic?"
1: Um, uh, you go first. Yeah, I was He's thinking
2: about this. about this one. <laughs> the two, two, two. I could do one is, I guess, from Wasps Nest, even though he didn't actually commit a crime. Mm. I think that one yeah. it was you could feel pretty sympathetic about that one. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give any spoilers because we're not there yet. But later down the line... I know what you're going to say. Do you? Mm-hmm. Do you? Go on. Well, I'll test you. Let's see about that, shall we? I don't have to be predictable. Um, I was going to say third act tragedy.
1: Oh, okay. That's not What, what
2: did you think I was, was going to say?
1: I was going to... Well, sympathetic, I think, Murder on the Orient Express. When, oh, when yeah. That's, that's a really good point. <laughs> you, you do you do kind yeah. of go, well, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. High a, fives? A, yeah, no, murder. not high fives. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, the, my favourite villain has to be mr waverley i think because we've oh. just overplayed him so much <laughs> that's a really damn
3: defensive you're damned offensive. <laughs> that's a good point sympathetic
2: and favorite are two very different beasts aren't they because i think my favorite and yeah. with this is way down the line again and no spoilers but marisco is one of my favorite villains no okay. spoilers yeah. that's all i will say
1: that's um that's Labour's Vercule as well. Yeah,
2: I love that cool. one. Mm. Love that one. <laughs> oh, God. And then that will be the end as well. Oh, it's very depressing, isn't it? Thinking about the future. Um, okay, so uh, this is a great question from um, our friend Adam Anansi.
4: Oh, yeah. Cool. Hey.
2: Well, it starts rough, but it, it gets better. Poirot is back in cinema soon. Debatable. Mm. Which David Suchet episode should go on the big screen? Curtain. Oh, yeah. Mm. Has to be, doesn't it?
1: abc murders would really work as a standalone cinematic release as well yes. When i first saw that i was like so surprised it wasn't because it's very cinematic and it's very well done it's very thrilling and it's sort of edge of your seat stuff all the way through yeah. but yeah i i, I think curtain should have i think it should have at least been broadcast in cinemas the way they do with like season finales now
2: yeah yeah that would have been good yeah i think curtain is a really good shout and they could have handed out tissues not for not for crying
1: <laughs> oh okay <then.
2: laughs> look whatever you're into how
1: about crying. well look i've just come Cryful.
2: back from Amsterdam, so i've seen some things uh yeah curtains are really good shout or any of like the the later ones they're all big sweeping kind of epics and their budgets were enormous so they could all all end really well actually death on the nile would be quite good because the sets yeah. and the scenery obviously they're in egypt it looks incredible so Wow, we've got enough time until we reach Curtin. Can we start petitioning cinemas to get Curtin back in cinemas in time for our finale? Can we?
1: Yeah, I'm sure they'll do that. Definitely do that. Absolutely. Dear cinema.
2: Don't you know who we are? (laughs) No, fair enough.
1: Yeah. And
2: then a nice comment from The Real Lippy, uh, where they say, listening now uh, to the last episode, I'll be renewing my brick box so that I can keep watching along with the pod. I feel like they should pay out a small commission to you both to keep up the excellent work. Now, that's a good idea, isn't it? (laughs) While we're speaking of good ideas.
1: anything that brings in more money is a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Bring in,
2: hold on, let's rephrase that. That brings in any money (laughs) because we don't make any money for this podcast. This is just pure (laughs) love and joy that we get paid in to do this one, isn't it?
1: Yeah, we do. We get paid in emails. Yes. uh, It's more than more than recompense thank you
2: um they always say that any man who has emails (laughs) is rich (laughs) i butchered that quote do they (laughs) (laughs) yeah no no one says that
1: that's the end line from um it's a wonderful life isn't it that
2: was the joke yeah
1: oh i see right sorry yeah it went well (laughs) any man who has emails yes right so just please ignore me go you know adam does (laughs) a podcast
2: called attaboy clarence
1: (laughs) Uh, just very slow <laughs> on the uptake this it's day. been a long week
2: I'll let you go <laughs> a nice uh, comment from meal 92 that just says just messy beaucoup isn't that sweet
1: oh that's no, very sweet thank you
2: um okay so then we had a oh a question a couple of questions from 777 Lantern Man. that's a weird superhero yeah. I've not heard of him
1: I thought you we were gonna say 776 Man. I know that I knew that is
2: oh well maybe it's a play on that you see I'm, I'm not cultured enough for such <laughs> talk <laughs> They basically asked, I'm not going to read it out verbatim because I've butchered the screen grab, but they were asking about Evil Under the Sun and where it was filmed. They said that they they know that the Berg Island was the exterior, but was the hotel a set? Because they thought that it might be. But I looked it up and I think it is just in the hotel that's on the island, from what I can see, on the filming locations on the Hangover Christie wiki.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: I think it was just a very beautiful art deco hotel.
1: Yeah. I mean, it sounds from what... Mr Fraser said that they kind of took over the place didn't they so it would make sense I'm sure they could do camera setups and everything. can
2: you imagine if you booked a holiday to Berg Island and mm. that was happening at the same time <laughs> I would be forcibly removed from that island
1: <laughs>
2: can you imagine
1: like you was <laughs> yeah
2: he could forcibly remove me anytime. I don't know what that means. Uh, but yeah, from looking at the, the filming locations, Berg Island, and then from the other, no spoilers because we're not there yet, but uh, some of the flashback scenes, uh, one was filmed in Henley on Thames, then there was uh, a Hambledon, and in um, Salcombe as well. So, Slocum, Salcombe? Cool. I don't know, some sort of comb. So yeah, no, they were. I believe it was the hotel interior.
4: <laughs> cool.
2: This is a, a question from Tree. Tree? Yes. Oh, hey, Tree. Lovely Tree. <laughs> Uh, And she asks, you have three questions you can ask any character in any episode. What would the questions be and who would you ask? It can be the character in the episode or the actor playing the part.
1: It would be, for me, the guy in Triangulate Roads who tried to do that. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why? Why? (laughs) That's a good shout.
2: (laughs) Mine would be, uh, to David Touche, where is the coin? Can I see the coin?
1: <laughs> Can I have the coin? Can I
2: have the coin? <laughs> 3.
1: And then pop it in. The- <laughs> <laughs> well, waste not one, not. <laughs> yeah.
2: And we also asked in our last episode we talked about uh, dream casting for a modern remake of Agatha Christie's yeah. Poirot, if they're making it now. And uh, Vicky Brewster from Twitter had a, a quite a good lineup here, I think. You ready for
1: cool. this? I am.
2: So she says, Poirot, I would really like to see Martin Freeman try it if he could nail the accent. I think he's got the sweetness, but could also go to darker places.
1: Hmm. She also said, interesting.
2: and I really like this idea, Mads Mikkelsen to play Poirot.
1: I think that's much better. I would
2: love yeah. to see that. It would be super weird. Mm, it would. Mm.
1: He would. He's got that sort of aloof, but very, I don't know, enigmatic... Yeah, he'd be perfect actually. He'd be great.
2: He would be great. He might be too overtly sexy for Poirot, but I'm willing to try it. I'll give it a go. I'll give it a watch, you know.
1: That's very good of you. <laughs>
2: very selfless like that. <laughs> You're welcome, Mads. Um, and then <laughs> then she said for Hastings, Connor Swindles from Sex Education. I think that's really good actually.
1: I'm not familiar with that one, I'm afraid. Oh, he's
2: very no. good. And actually I believe he was in he was in the new Barbie film. And it's quite oh. a similar vibe, potentially. So I think that's a really good shout, Vicky. And she also, okay. and sick, sticking with the perhaps too sexy, but definitely not actually for this character, for Miss Lemon, Gillian Anderson.
1: Oh, that's good. I mm. like that one. Yeah. Yeah, I like
2: Everyone that. likes yeah, that, that one great. because everyone loves Gillian Anderson. She's bloody no. incredible. Or Anna Chancellor.
1: That's good as well. But I would go with Gillian Anderson. Mm.
2: Yeah. yeah, me too. 100%. Uh, and then for Jap, uh, she's put Paul Whitehouse or Andy Ooh. Nyman. I would take either of those.
1: Yeah, Andy Nyman yeah, could it, do Andy
2: Poirot actually. actually. I think he could be pretty good at it.
1: Yeah, I know Jeremy Dyson actually. Of course you do. And, um, he he, <laughs> he, um, he works with Andy Nyman a lot. Yeah, honestly. and um, he very kindly sent me a copy of their new book. <gasps> very cool. He's like, give it a read, share what you think, and it's one of those. It's a murder mystery, I think. And
2: it's magic, it's isn't like it? A very
1: it, yeah, intricate. Kind of murder mystery plot. So I'm looking forward to tucking into that. So.
2: Oh, forgive them for but doing yeah, magic. Andy
1: Nyman. Great shout.
2: Yeah. Um They're actually, I'm going <laughs> to Capital Crime in a couple of weeks and they're there. They're doing a panel. Oh, Yeah. So I'm going to go along okay. to that one, which will be fun. Cool.
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh, they're great. Uh,
2: and then to round things off, we had a really lovely review come in from Treble Trouble 115. There's uh, mm. a lot of numbers involved in that one. And <laughs> and thank you, Trouble, Trouble 115 because they gave us a five-star rating and said, Magnifique! One of my favourite podcasts to say otherwise would be, Damn Defensive.
3: Damn Defensive. Oh, I love it. You're damn defensive.
2: Adam and Frankie take the listener on an entertaining and informative romp through each Poirot episode. As of today, this is obviously a little old now, they're up to the Plymouth Express. There are also a few special episodes with guest stars. Most notably, Captain Hastings himself, Hugh Fraser, A must-listen for mm. any Christie fan.
1: Oh, so sweet. That's a good one. I think people like the show because we we're not like Christie experts or anything. And we're not no. like very arch about it all. No, you've got that <laughs> fact wrong, didn't you, Mr. No. Renwick? Yeah, we are just like fans, really. Just love it. We're just you guys who are listening, but with microphones.
2: Yeah, exactly that. The thing about this show, I think in particular is not, we don't have time for snobbery and elitism and it's not about the the high art of it it's just the the beauty of the show the joy of the show and what it brings and what it means to people because i think everybody who loves it has such a personal relationship with it and i think that's something yeah. that we hopefully uh share with everyone that listens mm.
1: and if you watched it first time round, like like old cackers like i do <laughs> then um yeah, it's just a pure dose of nostalgia Especially because I sort of grew up with it, you know And it yeah. didn't end until I was It started when I was a schoolboy And it ended when I was married with children So yeah, it's very uh, Yeah, sort of taken me through life It's very nice, I love it
2: Yes, it's a journey, for sure But that was all mm. of our messages for this week
1: oh, Well, thank you very much, everyone Shall we get into the adventure? Yes I, I love this episode Please So much to enjoy Me
2: too Let's get spooky Yeah
1: it's a ghostly one, this one. Yes. <laughs> the tragedy at Marsden Manor. Let's do this. I love the way this episode starts. What do you think? Yes. We just open on, you know, a nice... Well, it's like a spooky, definitely a David Renwick yes. feel to the thing. If you if you know Jonathan Craig, you'll get that sort of sinister, eerie vibe. And this whole thing is done so well because this is like the poirot ghost story isn't it
2: yes it's really really fun everyone hope you actually when you're listening to this i don't know where you listen you may be outside in the daytime but don't go somewhere dark turn off all the lights and then you can listen to this one because it is a bit spooky even though it's the summer at the time of recording this is a spooky one and yeah this the the start of this is great we see a man shooting birds on the grounds of a big old beautiful manor house which we can talk about more in a minute uh, and yeah, he he's shooting at the birds and then a man dressed as Doctor Who appears uh, his name is Jonathan Maltravers but anyway he's passing around the garden he owns this beautiful estate which we clever title is Marsden Manor
1: <laughs> That was lucky Yeah <laughs> <laughs> He's, um, I wouldn't say anything. he's an old man, he's sort of hmm. 50s, I would say. Yeah. And a beautiful young lady comes out, she's be blonde, and she's in her fairly early 20s. And uh, it turns out that she's his wife, and uh, they're very happily married and in love. And he's recently had an operation that his doctor has advised him could be potentially serious, and he needs to be careful, and he needs to take it easy. He's been told to stay inside and get plenty of sleep. So she comes out to the garden and fusses over him and sits him down on the bench, his favourite stone bench. Yeah. Uh, And as she's sitting him down...
5: What is it? Susan?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's up, Farrakhani. At that time, Jack. Don't tell me you didn't hear it. That mad, horrible cackling. She was up there. Up there like before.
2: Laughing. Um, his wife, who we know, now know her name is Susan. Uh, Susan is freaked the hell out by... She's looking up in this big old cedar tree and she sees a face that's cackling after. She's very haunted. Before we started recording, I pointed out that in my notes, I described her as, perpetually terrified that is kind of (laughs) her vibe throughout this whole episode she's very haunted and freaked out by the ghost of of a girl she keeps saying she's laughing that awful cackle and things like that Mm. and you can see her poor husband looking up at the tree like I don't really see it, but all right. If you say so, love. But
1: you're young and fit. Yeah. yeah. You're
2: willing to touch me. So, whatever. (laughs) I'm telling you now,
1: if you'd been the same age as me, off to the asylum with you. (laughs)
2: Absolutely. I could have just euthanized you myself because, Christ. But no, you're young and hot and you were willing to, you know, sleep with me. So, okay, crazy. (laughs) Let's get you inside.
1: (laughs) Come on, love. Throws
2: a butterfly net over her. Come on, then, innit?
1: <laughs> yeah so she swears blind she sees the ghost or some kind of something cackling down at her in the tree and it's very well done because mm-hmm. they keep going up the camera keeps going up to the tree and because it's blowing in the wind you do kind of your mind does fill mm-hmm. in you do sometimes think yeah. oh what, what was that it's very well done yeah and as i say very jonathan creek it reminds me of those sort of ghost stories you used to get on children's bbc yes. in the 80s and 90s like the children of green noah and that kind of thing children of the stones it's just the way it's done it's really yeah. creepy
2: and it's all it's punctuated creepy. with like the the sounds of birds and crows like that, that mm. the all screeching noise it's yeah it's as you say very yeah. well done
1: very spooky feeling it's very well designed it's fantastic
2: yeah they're quite good at this show you know I think They know what they're doing
1: it's like they've almost finally yeah. found their feet good <laughs> good for them. do you know
2: what well done guys good job
1: <laughs> you are finally gone. um we then switch over to a lovely rural scene. Uh, Poirot and Hastings are arriving in a beautiful little market village and checking in <laughs> into a hotel.
5: This is it. What was his name again? Norton. Samuel James Norton. Welcome to my hotel. This is the greatest day of my life. Let me take your bags. Thank you, Mr.
3: Norton. We received your letter this morning, and as you see, we came straight here. I've got two of my best rooms already in waiting for you, gentlemen. Thank you, Mr. Norton. Now, in your letter, you state that the three farm workers have been poisoned... The syringe of the doctor has gone missing and that it is only I, Hercule Poirot, who can solve the mystery.
5: That's right, sir. But there's plenty of time. How about a nice pot of tea first?
3: Oh, that's very kind. You don't do sandwiches at all, do you? Uh, uh, Monsieur Norton, in a matter of murder, there is never the time to lose the facts of this case, if you please.
2: Oh, God, (laughs) this is so good.
3: (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I just love this guy.
2: Oh, my God. Yes, they're greeted by the owner of the hotel, a uh, Mr. Samuel Norton, and they have arrived because Samuel Norton wrote to Poirot and said there's been a spate of poisonings and horrifying murders. So Poirot hot foots it with Hastings on the train,
1: 125 miles. 125
2: oh. miles to come solve it, and he's like rushes in, like, "Okay, where are the bodies? Let's do this thing." <laughs> and then
5: what turns happens? out, right, you are, sir. It's all here. The first 200 pages, anyway. The Needle in the Haystack? The new murder mystery by Clarissa Norton? I use a woman's name. Seems to help them sell better. It's a corker of a plot, only I've got myself into a bit of a stew at the ending. So I thought i will drop him a line. Perhaps he'll come and sort it out of me. So I said to my wife, you can but ask. And blow me down here, you are. <laughs> I did mention it was a book in the letter.
2: They came on a wild gooseberry hunt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it's so funny! This is the best. The, the running joke all the way through this is that Poirot cannot—he can—he's like Victor Meldrew. He doesn't <laughs> really quite believe this, but he's been shuffled up to the armpit of the country to solve this spate of crimes and it turns out that the guy just wanted help finishing his book the thing is the running joke all the way through is that Poirot is so annoyed and like really really pissed that he's there and so he's not very nice to Mr Norton at the beginning anyway but this whole thread that runs through the episode of of their little because Mr Norton is the nicest guy in the world as well he just forgot to mention that it was a book so poirot's (laughs) livid with him all the way through but i have to say you know having worked in hospitality he is the ideal host isn't he
2: yeah unfailingly (laughs) polite and apologetic and very very sweet but yeah poirot is grumpy victor meldrew poirot is still present in this episode from the last one he is oh yeah furious (laughs) and uh, goes on a wild rant to Hastings about it.
3: Oh, Hastings. Oh, mon dieu, sacre uh, 125 miles, Hastings. We come on the wild gooseberry hunt. And now we have missed our last train and we cannot leave until the morning. Sacré! Cheer up, Warra. Only things
5: to do to while
3: away.
1: The- I say, that looks like fun.
2: But then... Uh, Hastings spots a little waxworks museum that they pop into Mm. and there's some great burns in it yeah it's perfect
1: there is. so uh yeah so they go and visit the waxworks and what does Poirot find a little effigy of himself my goodness me
2: which (laughs) I will share this picture of the Poirot waxworks on our social channels Mm. because it's something (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's some Definitely something
2: Yes yeah. It's hard to capture <laughs> such beauty In any artistic medium But particularly wax mm. I imagine You can't get the, the beautiful nuances And curvature of his gorgeous face Perfect mm. They've tried It's recognisable enough But they've lumped mm. him in With another section of massaged people <laughs> But he's able to spot himself
1: <laughs> The famous hall of horrors And the, the famous mustachio hall <laughs> down here And then yeah.
2: there's the mustachio hall of horrors Where uh, Kenneth Branagh's one is going to be put Anyway.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so inside there, the mustachio hall, what would you have? You'd have Ooh. you have Poirot and you have oh what spoilers for the other one, but yeah, I don't know, Daley Thompson. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Hulk Hogan. He's got he's a Hall of Famer.
2: For sure. Definitely. Oh my god, you have to. <laughs> uh, that's a really good question. Who else? Who else is a good moustache?
1: I feel like i Chucked this into a rabbit hole. I feel hole like I need to parents. Google
2: good moustaches.
1: <laughs> I need to Google bad
2: moustaches. Oh actually. well, we know well Hitler's number one of the bad ones, right? <laughs> <laughs> Evil moustaches. Tom Selleck. Oh, that is a good, a good one, good one actually. Yeah.
1: Nick Offerman would be good. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah, a little bit of a newer one, but we'll let him in. He can go next to Hogan.
1: <laughs> Justin Bieber's moustache was a bit of a mistake. I think he's he shouldn't be in there.
2: Well, th- they've listed him Bieber on a good list of good moustaches
1: it's a list of celebrity moustaches I mean so, um,
2: come on he's barely yeah. gone through puberty the poor boy I think Jesus Christ that doesn't count
1: Hulk Hogan's there yes Michael Cera's there that's the worst moustache I've ever seen no
2: they're <laughs> really, really clu- there are better moustaches they're clutching at straws mm, they're clutching at yeah. moustache hairs
1: any Orlando Bloom moustaches uh,
2: Orlando Bloom, Bloom in general Frida Carlo. <laughs> 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 you said it <laughs> she did like it was, but it's cool You know, feminism
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) Anyway Anyway, moving on (laughs) Slight tangent (laughs) Then Poirot spots himself But it's perfect Because he's just about to show Hastings And they're rushed out Because it's closing uh, With the perfect Mm. line From the museum security guard
5: Never quite as realistic In the flesh somehow, are they?
1: Back at the hotel, Mr. Norton asks if Poirot's made any progress with his, <laughs> uh, his, his puzzle. And
3: Mr. Poirot, have you worked it all out now, my whodunit? No, Monsieur Norton, I do not give another thought to your whodunit. The brain of Hercule Poirot is like the finely tuned engine of the motorcar. It does not run on the cheap, low-grade fuel. <laughs> not to worry, yeah. give you something to
5: read in bed. I'll just get your keys for you.
1: And it's then that Hastings spots a package on the desk that's wrapped in a newspaper from Nairobi. And he picks it up and sort of looks it over, doesn't he, with Poirot. Mm -hmm. And uh, Poirot is instantly quite captivated with what he's seeing. Then the uh, parcel is picked up from their hands by its owner, who is Captain Black, a very handsome young man. Turns out he's off to dine at Marsden Manor.
2: Yes, and it's not a Nairobi newspaper, Adam. Much like Hastings, you are mistaken. It's from Kenya.
5: (laughs) Someone just back from Africa? Kenya, actually.
2: (laughs) As he kept saying, this has come back from Kenya, like quinoa. So (laughs) (laughs) apparently, I thought it was Kenya, but there we go. You live and learn. (laughs) And yeah, he dashes off to Marsden Manor. And inside... The Kenya newspaper is a present for Susan, the pretty blonde lady who we saw earlier. This very scared woman. Do you know what a great present for someone who's terrified all the time is? Is a, uh, a statue of a talisman.
1: <laughs> yeah, hideous wolf idol. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Just put it next to your bed.
2: Yeah, pop that in. No nightmares for you. Could have got like a dream catcher. But no, he went for a, a scary evil spirit talisman from Kenya. Uh, and she's suitably freaked out by it. Yeah, she's scared of everything, so it's not a massive surprise. Mm. He's over for dinner. Uh, turns out he's an old family friend of uh, Maltravers and his wife. And also Dr. Bernard is there as well for dinner. He is uh, Jonathan's physician, and he's just been giving him a look over and telling him to you know, be careful because he's still a bit risky after his operation.
1: And it's at this dinner that Mrs. Maltravers, Susan, starts going off the boil again. Spooky about Maltravers. <laughs> She honestly looks like a frightened rabbit all the way. <laughs> <laughs> goes, <"I> can't. <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, we'll let her do this but.
0: It's as though she's mocking me. And then, just as suddenly, it stops, as if I completely imagined it all.
2: I do really relate to her because I often ruin dinner parties with stories of ghosts.
0: <laughs> so we've all been there. But
2: yeah, she she's really not letting it go. And she's, I know what I saw, which has anyone ever said that line who is remotely convincing?
1: <laughs> ever. And they still haven't. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's, uh, she's convinced she's seen this hideous cackling girl in the tree. And we find out from Mr. Maltravers what the story behind that might be.
5: Well, the story is that Fifty or so years ago, a young teenage girl killed herself here in these grounds. She'd been jilted by a lover or some such thing. Anyway, she climbed to the top of that massive cedar out there and threw herself off. And over the years, people in the village... Well, you know how these superstitions take root.
1: Yeah, just before dinner, actually, Mrs Rawlinson, who seems to be Mr... Mel Travers kind of private secretary-ish kind of person. She's working on his accounts in one of the rooms and he goes in and says, it's very late. Why don't you come on in and have dinner with us all? And a strange moment sort of passes between them. uh, Yeah. How would you describe it?
2: Well, in my notes, I described it as a little bit terse and awkward because she's like, oh, Mm. yeah, okay. Oh, the books are a bit of a mess, though, still. And he's like, okay, one of mine. (laughs) You stay here. Don't worry about dinner. Bye.
1: Uh, yeah, so- okay fine Yeah I'm not doing that <laughs>
2: That's your problem Bye
4: yeah.
1: So yeah It's
2: a little bit awkward uh, She is a an interesting character Throughout this episode She seems to always be Kind of watching And lurking in the shadows So we'll talk more About her later
1: yeah. And then we go To the next morning mm. It's beautiful isn't it Yes Master Manor Susan's up with the lark Because she wants to get Some painting done mm. She sets up her canvas At the uh, conservatory door so looking out on the On the garden And lawns Danvers The gardener He's out there Pottering away Mr. Maltravers is taking the air, isn't he? It's, uh, it's, yes. a, it's a nice country house scene. Back at the uh, village pub, <laughs> Poirot has arrived out for breakfast. And uh, here we go with his, his Grumpathon. Ah,
3: Poirot, sleep well? Like the top hastings. I am turning and spinning all of the night. And then, at three o'clock in the morning, ina, the ultimate desperation.
2: <laughs> Grumpfest, <laughs> 20, or not mm. 20, because it's like 1930s, whatever. <laughs> Whatever this is said. (laughs) Not modern. We also get a a wonderful insight into Poirot's breakfast order. Mm -hmm. Classic Poirot, quintessential.
1: It really is. I was thinking he was going to ask for eggs, actually, and make a big fuss about that. I
2: think he knew that those eggs weren't going to be up to snuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Equal sizes. (laughs) It's like
2: when you go to Wetherspoon, you're not like, well, I'll have the the lobster, please. (laughs) You know what you're getting... (laughs) If he can just toast the bread on one side, that'll be a significant achievement for poor old Mr Norton <laughs> in Poirot's eyes. Mm.
1: I love his comment about the, uh, well, let's just, let's just let Poirot do it. Um, I mean, Mr Norton ambles in, friendly <laughs> as ever, and asks him, was the accommodation all right?
3: Was the accommodation all right? No, Monsieur Norton. The accommodation was all wrong. Oh, The duck feather pillow's... Feels as if the ducks are stealing them.
2: Poirot's <laughs> <laughs> burns are on fire in this one because he's so angry constantly. There's <laughs> like pow, pow, pow.
3: You really do get
1: more of that sort of comedy with David. Yes, Rank, you? you know they're very. He's very good at right. That's the story. Fine, but here's my addition to the story, and it's, you can always tell because the mysteries are always fantastically constructed. There's always an eerie edge to it somehow. Yes, and um, they're funny they're funny as a little hell aren't they they're great
2: yeah they really are and i think that's why these early ones are so so beloved by fans because mm. it. somebody one of our followers sent a really good meme that they made of the barbie oppenheimer thing being like early poirot with the white haven four and then the oppenheimer the later part gets a little <laughs> bit depressing uh, and very serious and these ones are a lot more light and fun as we've, we've said before so um it's a perfectly yeah. balanced emotional range yep.
1: brilliant <laughs> (laughs) yes uh yeah
2: i also love the bit when he and mr norton talk up cross purposes because mr norton (laughs) (laughs) is so good mr norton talks about the ghosts at master manor because captain black also who had booked in for the week gone for dinner at master manor and has hightailed it out so he's saying oh god i hope he wasn't wasn't the duck feather pillows that that scared him away (laughs) or maybe it was the ghosts and i'll just drop the old clip in because this exchange is perfect (laughs)
5: Yes, it's very good. (laughs) Perhaps he was frightened away by ghosts. Now then,
3: breakfast. How about
5: a nice kipper? They're fresh today.
3: My tea, son. Two slices of bread, toasted on one side only, if you please. Ghosts, did you say? Oh, yes. Haunted house, Marsden Manor, where he went
5: last night. They say it's full of them.
3: You have seen them yourself? Well, no, not personally. I haven't, of course. How do you know they're fresh? Sorry? The kippers.
5: Oh, oh, oh yes. Oh, oh, they're fresh, all
3: right. We get them delivered twice a week from Grimsby. So it is the place of the untold evil, crawling with the spirits of the living dead. Grimsby?
1: Master man.
3: How do you know they're fresh?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: the kippers, yeah, it's so good. So ghosts and demons. Grimsby? <laughs> Grim. <laughs> Oh
2: boy Kipper's from Grimsby eh What a What a treat
1: Mm. (laughs) Yeah I'm sure they're fresh Mm. Anyway Yes we come back to Marsda Manor Uh, It's still A beautiful Fresh morning Mm. Susan is finishing Our painting Which as you say Here in the notes Looks very good Doesn't it it's very striking. There is something about it straight away that you notice about it, isn't there?
2: Mm, yes. definitely. A the
1: detail that she's included.
2: I have to admit, when the first scene when she was painting, it looked a little rough, and I didn't know where this was going to go. But I know she's done all right. Fair play to her. Old spooky, <laughs> pulled it out the back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's spooked as hell. <laughs> Miss Rawlinson uh, gets back from an errand where she's been out of the house at the time, and she goes into in to, the, so to have a look at the painting, and uh, there they are standing and chatting when Danvers the Gardener Runs up, shouting that something has happened.
3: Adam, it's Mr. Mount Travers! I think you better come quick.
1: Dun dun
2: dun 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 I was just thinking it'd be really funny if Susan had just painted like she's oh she's so haunted, just painted like the ring, just loads of circles and like really <laughs> painting. That'd have been a lot more fun. But yeah, so they they rush out after him. Meanwhile, because this is all kind of diverges nicely. Bar and Hastings are getting out of dodge. Bar has had enough of this town, yep. of this the book he was forced to read when he couldn't sleep, and he can't figure it out. Mm. Uh, and then they run into, as I put, a bit of a kerfuffle. And Poirot starts mm. flapping in a rage and shouting at the car. Very uncharacteristically kind of uh, fist-shaking of so- Poirot. Come on. Move along. On. What is it? Down
5: yourself
3: emergency. Check yourself. Allé, <laughs> allé.
5: Don't you come that lady. You just move back. Don? Isn't that her Poirot? Right on our doorstep.
1: It's very funny because they're going down like a single track lane, yeah. aren't they? And there's a police car coming towards them. So they both pull up and the police lean out and say, get out of the way, we're the police. And Poirot exactly, <laughs> out he goes, well, don't you know who I am? Alle, alle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if the police tell you to get out of the way, you kind of do it.
2: <laughs> they do know who he is because he's <laughs> Hercule <laughs> mother- Poirot, baby.
1: Yeah, which is very good timing because they're on their way to Mars Manor, so jolly well take him along with them
2: perfect timing (laughs) because dun 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 jonathan maltravers is
1: dead he's dead underneath the tree with the cackling girl and there he is looks like he's succumbed to this hemorrhage inside because he's bleeding from the mouth must be the hemorrhage that's finally killed him brought on i think by the fear he's experienced mm. while seeing something in the tree. <laughs>
2: that sounds like yeah. the name of a B-movie. Something in the tree. <laughs> we should make that one. Yeah, so then Poirot gets to work quick sharpish uh, inspecting mm. the scene. Um, he also speaks to Danvers the gardener. And we ask, this is where we get some, some cold hard facts that we're going to need to think about. So he yeah. last saw Jonathan Maltravers alive at 9.30am on the bench. Uh, the stone bench that we talked about earlier, because that's where he liked to go for a snooze after breakfast. What a dream life, by the way, apart from the whole dead thing. The, before that, mm. <laughs> real nice. And the old It was.
1: It was a dream life. It really was. <laughs>
2: and he tells Hastings that Jonathan and Susan hadn't even been married two years, but they're very much in love with each other. And Miss Rawlinson has been on the scene for about 20 years working for him. Mm. Uh, and she ran all of his affairs for him because he wasn't the most organised of gentlemen, as Danvers puts it. And mm-hmm. Hastings' comments at this point, as we've talked about, you just mentioned, being scared to death. He has a very haunted expression on his face, doesn't he, his body? Mm.
1: He's definitely seen something... Bad. ...terrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really, really terrifying. Poirot is straight in with the old um, magnifying glass, though, la Sherlock mm. Holmes. He notices... Something about Mr Maltravers' shoes, and then starts scouring around the floor, scampering around, examining grass and everything, doesn't he? Yeah. It's all very. Hastings is sort of talking to uh, someone in close shop mm. and in the background you can see Pyro scurrying around with the police. Hey, Alec, come here, and ordering <laughs> them around. He's instantly on the case. Yeah. Um, he gets down on his stomach, <laughs> looks along the grass line towards the tree, and says, "Ah, perfect. Found what I was looking for." Looking puzzled, Pyro.
5: Ah. can't see your problem poor chap had a stomach condition you heard what the ambulance man said
3: internal hemorrhage plain as day caused him to choke to death amount, Hastings, that is the conclusion most obvious but perhaps it is too obvious you noticed of course the faint ridges in the grass ridges? and you cannot afford to notice the mud across the back of his shoes you put those two facts together Hastings and you reach the conclusion that is most disturbing the body of the dead man was dragged physically from the stone seat to the foot of the tree. Good Lord.
2: This is the part where I was wondering about the coin. Like, did it fall in when he's on all fours? <laughs> <laughs> Do you hear a ding as it lands and wherever it ends up? Or, <laughs> But he's got the control of, of the
1: situation. He's a method actor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's a method cracker.
2: Oh, nice. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Uh, so yeah he studies the grass and he also as he's looking and the policeman is stood there being like what are you doing down there kind of thing uh he steps on an egg
1: yeah the policeman yeah he sort of backs up yeah because says, get out my way and he stands on some bird eggs which are on the floor he Very he old.
2: tries to crack the case
1: He stands on three little mini Poirot heads. Oh,
2: But yes, Poirot discovers more eggs.
1: It's really nice because, you know, usually you get these clues, don't you? Um, And they're not explained until the very end. But Hastings says, what are you doing down there? And Poirot instantly explains to him, I was looking along the grass because there were ridges on the grass, which means, and there's mud on the back of his shoes, Mm -hmm. which means he did not die under that tree. He was dragged from the bench area to beneath that tree instantly means that this foul play here he didn't go to the tree look up see a cackling girl and fall down dead it just ain't ain't the story i'm afraid
2: or the bird seeking vengeance for her crushed eggs dragged him there herself in an attempt (laughs) to get him into the tree but dropped him
1: yeah (laughs) <laughs> the bird, what the, the cackling bird. The cackling the
2: bird, exactly that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that was my backup
1: <laughs> story. Am I the Hastings
2: of this episode? I think I might be.
1: <laughs> back in the house, uh, Poirot is talking to the distraught Susan, who is even more distraught than she usually <laughs> Who knew? Is,
2: she you know. could get worse.
1: She's, uh, you know, been given a stiff drink or seven as well, is yeah. she? She's probably on the whiskey. It's the only thing that's calming her. She defaults back into her terrified child mode and starts talking again about that awful laughing woman
0: it was her I know it she killed him
3: she Madame Maltravers.
0: I think it would be best if you all left now she's still in a state of shock up there in the tree that awful laughing woman that's what he saw That's what frightened him to death.
2: Anyway, enough of this dilly dallying, you know, looking at eggs and paintings and things. It's time to call in Jap at the yard, isn't it? And get this Mm -hmm. thing sorted. And he arrives. Great to see Jap. Unfortunately, no Miss Lemon in this episode, we should have mentioned, but hopefully we'll see her again soon. But Jap, Mm -hmm. they meet up with Jap, and straight away, he has a theory. Because we find out that Jonathan's life insurance policy was worth £50,000. How much would that be in modern money, Adam?
1: I don't know. It seems like an awful lot. (laughs) 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 Must be quite a lot. Let's have a look. They are
2: shocked by it. They're like, oh my God, that's a lot of money. Oof.
1: Yeah, it's actually quite a lot of money. Go on. It's uh, four and a half million quid.
2: Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So straight away, Jap <laughs> has a bit of a weird theory mm. where he thinks that perhaps it was suicide.
3: <laughs> Ask yourself, Poirot.
5: Man insures his life for a hefty sum like this. His health takes a sudden turn for the worse. It becomes a burden on his poor young wife. He might decide life's not worth living anymore. He's more used to her debt than alive. Suicide. Mmm, insurance fraud. It's certainly worth considering.
1: I know. I just uh, self-imploded Im- my internal hemorrhage. Classic. So that my wife could have four and a half million quid life insurance. I mean, you do see it quite a lot, don't you, in no place ever. Yeah,
2: no. Yeah. You're more likely to see a weird <laughs> canoe-based plot to make it look like you've died versus <laughs> this so really really weird theory but straight away poirot shoots that down and he's like that makes no bloody sense jab
4: uh-huh.
2: yeah there are no inside of violence or injuries and there's no poison that makes your mouth fill with blood which is reassuring i think but he mm. says that the post-mortem will be back in a couple of days because they've got to get a pathologist over from Norwich. So we're really seeing all of the sights in this one. We've got Grimsby, we've got Norwich, we've got Marsden. All of the the best parts of England are featured in this particular episode.
1: Mm. It's worth saying they're having this conversation over an evening dinner of some kind. Yes. Mr. Norton is buzzing around the table, refilling glasses and trying his best to become part of the conversation, <laughs> which is. What I'd probably
5: do.
2: (laughs) Same! Oh my god. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely.
5: You seem to know a lot about all this. Crime and detection, Chief Inspector, are a special hobby of mine, as Mr. Poirot here will tell you. Now, I've drawn up a little list of the principal suspects, which I think you'll find very
3: useful. Thank you. Uh, Monsieur Norton, perhaps you would oblige us with a little more of your most illustrious apple sauce? Certainly.
1: I love the fact that he gives he gives Poirot that uh, little list of here's a list of suspects for you. Yeah. Thanks. Can I still have your apple <laughs> sauce?
2: Go and get apple sauce.
1: Leave me alone. Yeah. Can you just go and pick the apples first? <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> Throughout this whole kind of thing, when we cut back to Marsden Manor, Susan, spooky Susan, just keeps staring out at the old tree, and there's Bobby's under there keeping watch, and she glances at the Talisman. It's a lot of kind of her wild eyes are all over all over the shop. And the next morning, uh, she dramatically runs to the graveyard, which to be fair, I love a graveyard visit as much as the next person. So I understand that. But she seems particularly interested in one grave and she drops down and reads the stone and it says, Rebecca Mary Marsden, 1886 to 1888, not dead, merely sleeping. That's pretty good for an epitaph, don't you think?
1: pretty bloody creepy yeah. especially if you're going to sit in a tree cackling because go, <laughs> thought you were asleep
2: yeah very f-
1: <laughs> giggly for a sleeping woman shut up you're sleep laughing
2: <laughs> oh god oh. i have laughed in my sleep before actually <laughs> so <laughs> creepy but then add to the spookiness poirot just appears behind her <laughs> <laughs> boo
4: ah. la boo trivia that's good
1: um it's worth saying as well um th- that captain black who was at the original dinner yes with, you know, uh, on the first night as mr norton said mysteriously vanished the next morning and he's still they still haven't located him they're treating him as a person of interest yes for some reason he paid up for a week and has just not been in the story since so japs uh, trying to locate him Yes. Uh, just, just to keep you on top of what's happening with
2: good shout yes. so Poirot and Susan are chatting in the old graveyard about the spooky ghosts and things and then she happens to drop in that it's not just about the spooky ghost story actually, uh, there was an incident recently when my mirror started mm. bleeding
0: <laughs> there was something else a couple of weeks ago we were just getting ready to go to bed Jack was in the bathroom. I'd just taken my sleeping pill. I turned to the mirror to brush my hair and. It was her blood. I know it was her blood.
1: Well, welcome to Amityville Manor. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Seriously. Yeah,
1: bleeding mirror.
2: Bleeding mirrors. I feel yeah. that way when I'm looking in the mirror like bleeding mirror, showing me my <laughs> vom, showing me my stupid face all the time.
1: <laughs> and me. I haven't lost any, haven't lost that double chin yet. Bloody <laughs> mirror.
2: Yeah, bleeding mirror. But anyway, <laughs> oh yeah. Also, just to run through the order of events um, as Miss Susan does on the day of the murder. She was painting in the conservatory, and he he Jonathan Maltravers disappeared out of her view while she was painting. Uh, miss rawlinson popped out to the bank at about 9 30 and got back at 11 asking to speak to him just as danvers appeared and they ran out that's her version of events uh so then they Mm -hmm. go and decide to speak to dr bernard
1: yes the doctor who had prescribed this prescribed the operation and is very aware of uh mr maltravers Mm -hmm. hemorrhage situation he first of all Poirot arrives, which is a, <laughs> which is a little moment of comedy uh, gold from David Rennick.
2: There's back-to-back comedy this bit.
0: Doctor, there's a gentleman outside suffering from Urkel Poirot. He seems to think it's quite serious.
5: Oh yes, thank you, Margaret.
2: Show him through. Poirot seems to think it's quite serious. And then Hastings in the Sweets.
5: For the children. Help yourself.
1: Thank you. (laughs) It's a visual one. You'll have to go and trust us on this one. But yeah, have you ever been in a situation where silence is required, but you've been given a very crunchy thing to eat?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Many, many times. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: The, The silent hatred from Poirot (laughs) is perfectly done it's brilliant every time there's a crunch he just goes
2: and it's also the way it's set up is perfect because the doctor's like oh it's for children and he's like help yourself and Daisy's like oh okay and he (laughs) pops, digs in his hand and Poirot's looking at him like oh you adorable stupid child this is very sweet yeah
1: basically it's like you know the adults are talking (laughs) you eat a sweetie
2: (laughs) I've had that said to me a lot as well (laughs) in my
1: life (laughs) Dr. Bernard reveals that uh, the condition of Mr. Maltravers was serious, but definitely manageable. There was no, you know, cause. As long as he took it easy, he should have, you know, lived a, a very happy and healthy life. And Poirot asks if Susan Maltravers, his wife, ever came to see him. And he says, well, occasionally from time to time, she came for a sleeping pills or something or other. He goes to his medicine cabinet to investigate... All oh, right, and he just goes to his medicine cabinet, needs to put something back, have a little browse, <laughs> and uh, dun dun dun, something's happened.
5: <gasps> That's odd.
3: Something is wrong, Doctor Bellard. Chloroform, five fluid ounce bottle. It's gone.
1: Yes. Uh, Poirot instantly, instantly is uh, overcome with anxiety at this revelation grabs Hastings and runs out the door. Now, it's worth saying that in the town, there is a civil defence meeting going on, yes. which generally means someone's going to stand at the front of a hall and tell people what to do in the event of certain situations. Poirot, having noticed this detail on the way to the doctors, is booking it down. Here's the part where I thought.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I too was concerned about that. Um, You yeah. would say that he chloroformed some uh, fears for um. <laughs> Susan's safety.
1: He chloroformed an opinion about what might happen. Exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, you're right. He he. You can hear almost hear the jingling as he speed mm. minces <laughs> down to the hall, <laughs> and to the point where he has to be like Hastings, you do it, <laughs> please Hastings. <laughs> I'm going to lose all my money if I keep running.
1: <laughs> yeah, they arrive at the civil defence hall, and they. <laughs> So I'm just thinking about him swallowing. <laughs> Hang on, I've got to put another one. Down.
2: <laughs> like a slot machine.
1: <laughs> Wouldn't it? Yeah, like would. a bloody laundrette. Anyway, But uh, they, they peg it down. <laughs> 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 lucky coin. Mark. Are you? Anyway, they they get to the civil defence uh, meeting hall, let themselves in the back door, run out onto stage where everyone is dun 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 being told to put on gas masks. Now, Poirot has instantly recognised that something sinister is about to happen, and calls out,
3: "Madame Maltravers, are you here? Madame Maltravers, <laughs> the gas must be. Excuse me, excuse me, please, please, please. Excuse me, excuse me, away, please."
2: Just as Poirot calls out for Susan, she passes out. We assume it's Susan because he's like Susan, Susan, and then she she drops to the floor. Mm. Dun dun dun. Yep.
1: Dun dun dun. He runs over to um, investigate, takes the mask off, gives it a little sort of wave in front of his <laughs> nose, and indeed, her gas mask, her her gas mask <laughs> has been. You
2: were southern for a second there. <laughs> gas mask it's
1: been what do you call it laced with chloroform
2: would have been so being... funny if he'd sniffed it and then passed out as well <laughs>
1: <laughs> on top of her yes. like in a really compromising position
2: and then everyone just keeps piling on being like what happened
1: <laughs> what happened he sniffed this
2: I'm <laughs> surprised Hastings didn't the only reason he didn't is because he spotted Captain Black
1: yes at the upper gallery the missing Captain Black is in the upper gallery as you say Hastings legs it towards the door Captain Black legs it towards the door, and somewhere between them both, Jap steps out of the shadows and nicks his man.
2: The most delicious filling of a sandwich, <laughs> Inspector <laughs> Jap. He always gets his man, and yeah, they manage to rouse Susan, way well, hey, uh, with some smelling salts. And so she's okay, she's not dead, but uh, a policeman does find the missing bottle of chloroform in a bin, so Poirot tells Hastings to take Susan off while he and Jap Question Captain Black. That sentence was a lot harder than it should have been. There's <laughs> a lot of hard <laughs> sound
1: A very elaborate sentence. Well, you know. So someone murdered Mr. Maltravers, and now it looks like someone's out to get Mrs. Maltravers. What the hell is going on?
2: It's a mal-tragedy.
1: Hey! Why didn't no one spot that one? Well... I say no one, me. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
4: but you're someone, so,
2: you know.
1: I'm the other person in there, and so you spotted it, so...
2: <laughs> one out of two ain't bad. That's pretty good going.
1: <laughs> My favourite meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> yes, after a chat with Captain Black, um, we discover that... I don't know, let's let Captain Black say, actually.
2: He starts by being quite evasive and not really answer Jap's questions, but then Poirot comes in and brings... He knows exactly what to ask. He's like...
3: How long have you been in love with Madame Maltravers? This is preposterous. Now no, come, 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 monsieur. The truth, if you please.
2: And the, the truth is revealed. It's all very sad. He couldn't bear to be in the, in the house with her, with her husband. So after dinner, he had to leave. He couldn't stand it anymore. He read in the paper that Jonathan Maltravers had died. And so he came back. And the reason he was running, he wasn't running away. He was running down the stairs to go and help Susan, allegedly.
1: Yeah, well, that's what he says. Mm-hmm. What he says. Hmm. Hmm. So um, we go back to Marsden Manor, where Susan is recovering in the company of Miss Rawlinson and Hastings, who's being a good chap and gone over to check she's all alright. In thanks, on his way out to the door, Susan runs out with the lovely painting she was painting that morning and hands it to him as a gift and uh, makes a very strange remark about Miss Rawlinson to Hastings.
0: I can't stand another night of it on my own in the house with her.
5: Miss Rawlinson? I don't understand.
0: There was something between them. Once upon a time, years before I met him. Of course, it was all over as far as Jack was concerned, but I don't know. With all this, I just don't know anymore. All of a sudden, she scares me. I see. Come back and have dinner with us tonight, please. You and Mr. Poirot. I just feel safer. Doesn't
2: bloody help that Miss Rawlinson is just watching from the window. She watches a lot, as I say. She's always like lurking mm. about watching everything.
1: If she'd been called Mrs. Danvers instead of the gardener, being called Danvers, that, that would have been way better. I
2: was about to say that. She should have been married to the gardener. then she could have been Mrs. Danvers, and then that would have been the whole yeah, Rebecca absolutely. vibe. Yeah, that's a missed opportunity, Agatha. <laughs> come on, Jesus.
1: <laughs> come on, Agatha. This was... Written 20 years before Rebecca. Yeah. There.
4: Plagiarize <laughs> a character
1: that doesn't
2: exist yet. Plagiarize a character from the future, <laughs> why don't you? Exactly. So <laughs> Hastings doesn't really understand what's going on, shockingly. He goes back, finds Poirot, who is trying to revive his little grace of cells with a salad niçoise.
1: The fat pub lunch in 1920, whatever it was, yeah. was salad niçoise. And he's putting it together himself. He's got a I bowl know. of egg. <laughs> a bowl of lettuce and I, I assume he's got like i don't know some tuna and tomatoes and got a dressing. fishing rod <laughs> and he just nipped out to
2: like go <laughs> fishing yeah i can only imagine that he was like can i have a salad niçoise and this little pub in this little te- village was like what and they're like i'll i'll piece this together myself <laughs> allow me yeah.
1: give me 16 hard boiled eggs
2: <laughs> he really Very is but he's crack. he's cracking mm. them cracking some eggs Uh, as as Hastings (laughs) arrives and Hastings plonks the painting down on the table and he's starting to fill Poirot in on uh, what's happened back at the house and because Poirot asks how Susan's doing and as he's talking Poirot spots something in the picture
3: Hastings is this not the picture painted by Madame Maltravers on the morning of the tragedy yes my worst suspicions are now confirmed regard Hastings it is all here this picture tells the whole story you do not see Sorry, Poirot. Just looks like a painting of the garden to me. And the eggs. Yes, the broken eggs. It must still be there.
1: Ah, why did I not see before? So apparently, yes, this picture tells the whole story. But what story has it told?
2: Also, Hastings, while Poirot's doing his whole, (gasps) the painting tells the whole story thing, Hastings is like cracking an egg. And Poirot's like, and the eggs. Yeah, that, that too. Like he's ticking things off his, his gray cell list. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like, eggs, mm, painting, yeah, yeah. this whole thing. I get it now. Uh, and then Norton comes out and he's like, hey, there's a Jap- Inspector Japp's on the call for you. And you can tell Norton's loving the drama. He's like, something's happened. <laughs> Go to the phone. <laughs> and Japp says to Poirot, we've got the post-mortem results. We know how Jonathan Maltravers was killed. And before he could even say it, Poirot tells him, we can't hear it. But And he's like, how did mm. you know that?
1: <laughs> it's very well done.
2: Very well done. And he mm. says, Jap, you better tell that Bobby at the house. I've got some instructions. Make sure that they do them.
1: After the phone call, Poirot and Mr. Norton bump into each other again. And Poirot gives him some good news
3: <laughs> and some rather surprising and intriguing news. Incidentally, Mr. Norton, the killer is the explorer who is bedridden. Really? really? Oh, may we? He fires into the fruitcake the poison dart from his window upstairs. Good lord, I think you may have solved it for me. And you, my friend, can repay with a small service for me. Well, A lot's sort of happened
1: in the last ten minutes of the episode. Yes. It's very good. It's like, and all the way through as well, they've kept that creepy vibe. You know, there's shots at the tree. Mm-hmm. Even the policeman who's guarding the area, he, you know, he's getting sort of a. Uh, chills running down his spine every time he glares up into the tree and thinks he hears like this cackling noise and it's bird sound and everything yeah definitely very david rennick it's all theremins and and um spooky shots it's great
2: it's definitely david rennick and also agatha christie loved spooky stuff like she really did this Mm -hmm. whole thing and i know you'll appreciate this endless night vibes throughout as well
1: yes yes definitely definitely if you if you're a fan of that book that's my favorite agatha christie novel of all time
2: interesting it's really good and you actually when we first met you uh, gave me endless nights the film from the 70s the film so 70s, isn't it <laughs> so 70s they did not try to make that fit well i mean it was one of her later books right. as well and actually she yeah. said it was one of her favorite books that she wrote
1: yeah i think she said it was her favorite yeah look and I, I can i can definitely see why i love that story i think it's so so clever. yeah and i didn't get it as well it's really there's smart a, to say there's a twist it's sort of you know a something that every Agatha Christie book has but this twist I was like what yeah I just didn't get it she loves to
2: play with the theme of spooky goings-on is it real is it supernatural and that kind of unsettling feeling that comes with that she's so she's the master of doing that and this is a yeah Mm. so I really like that spooky vibe but hey Adam how would you rate this one
1: I think definitely production, this is like almost beyond a 10 for me. This is one I've remembered so like throughout life. It's mm-hmm. the ghost one, the spooky one. Yeah. So I, I think it's brilliantly done. As for the mystery, I give this one a nine. I think it's really clever. Yeah. And the clues are very well, not well laid out. Of course they are, but um, the, the clues are really interesting in themselves yeah. it's like what is piracy in the painting you know what do the eggs mean what what's the thing about the grass what's the cackling you know it's uh, why, why was the mirror bleeding it's all it's all like wow I really want to know what that clue means yeah. so um yeah I'll give this one a 9 it's right up there I really like it that's yeah, a great. It's a great episode. It's really good fun as well. Very funny,
2: yeah, definitely. How about you? Not to sound like a complete cop-out, but yeah, also a nine because it's it's <laughs> for me, it gives me my spooky, spooky uh, needs are fulfilled with it because I love a spooky story mm. and it's a clever mystery, and, as you say, the production value it's it's a really, really strong one, and it comes it's a really nice double. Uh, header after wasp's nest it works really nicely yeah uh, if you're going to do a, a dual what's the word double bill jesus dual viewing that's not a thing so yeah double bill um i really really enjoyed it and as you say the clues are there and for me personally i'm not going to say anything obviously till after the music but like in terms of solving it i knew who i thought did it but i wasn't 100 percent mm. sure on how and i think yeah that's fair yeah. Uh, for so anyone listening if you think you've cracked it then i can't wait cracked to- it Oh, like it. So many egg things. Indeed. Unless you've been living a sheltered existence. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. E- excuse me. Uh, I never apologize. Did you hear the joke, though? I
1: did. Excuse joke. me.
2: Joke. <laughs> quote. Quote.
1: Quote. It was more of a yoke.
2: Oh, <laughs> God damn it. Okay. So, anyway, <laughs> yeah, in conclusion, it was really, really fun. And uh, I enjoyed
1: this one very much. It's a very strong episode. Yeah. It's very, very good. And uh, if you'd like to go away and solve it, you need to pause it at around the 38, 39 minute mark. Something's brewing. As soon as Poirot asks the favour from Norton, then uh, we're into Denouement territory, and this Denouement is absolutely bloody fabulous, by the way.
2: Yes, this reminds me of Perilla and House a bit. No spoilers.
1: Yes, yeah. Similar vibes. We're going to go into the supernatural. It's a shame it hasn't got Miss Lemon.
2: Oh, is there anybody there? (laughs) Yeah, she's missed. She loves a seance. She'd have loved
1: this. (laughs) Cool. Well, if you want to go away and solve it, then, uh, yes, pause it at that point.
2: Should we go solve this thing?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Come back after the music.
2: Yeah, or revoir, mes amis.
1: Au revoir. <laughs> there you go. We're back. Bonjour. Mm. So, who's the villain of the piece, first of all?
2: Well, drumroll please. The, the villain <laughs> of the piece is... The ghost? No, it's not the ghost, is it? It's Susan Maltravers. She's the evil cackling woman <laughs> in the tree.
1: Yeah, she is. The evil terrified woman all the way through.
2: Yeah. yeah, God, me thinks the lady doth protest too bloody much. Like, I'm so scared. Like, she ain't scared. <laughs> I'm so uh, scared. So t- yeah. Oh, God, yeah, seriously. Like, uh. I know she's hot, yeah, but she's. After
1: a while. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's quite pretty, but every, after a while, you just think, you really only have one mode. Don't you? <laughs> I like
2: my women to not be terrified all the time. <laughs> yeah. Call me old fashioned. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. I mean, most men do as well, if they're bright. Sure, in the they
2: head. do. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yes, we open on a dinner scene Poirot, Miss Rawlinson, Sarah Maltravers and Hastings are partaking of a nice dinner Strange things are happening Mm. Mrs. Maltravers is acting very spooked The wind is howling outside And uh, she spills some wine Poirot (laughs) comes over and takes care of that for her Mm. All of a sudden, she spots something out the window
2: we are this is we are getting to prime spooky territory now. A proper pathetic fallacy for all of you uh English literature students out there, G C S E, grade C. Because it's a very dark and stormy night, as you say, the wind is howling and the lights flicker in the room, and Susan is starting to freak, uncharacteristically freak out. <laughs> Who would have seen that coming? And as you say, she knocks a drink over. And Poirot kind of holds her, and says, You know, it's all okay. And she looks out the window and she sees a figure walking towards the doors. Very spookily lit.
1: It's a very recognisable figure. We saw him at the beginning. Yeah, it was definitely him as well, isn't it? It's, it's brilliantly done. It's the ghost of Mr. Maltravers walking across the garden towards her, holding aloft a rifle. <gasps> <laughs>
4: I do, Mama, my brother.
3: Jack. Oh, my God. No, no, it can't be. My Your hand, it is bleeding.
4: on my hands
2: because I killed him. And boom, confession town, baby. She killed him.
1: She's the one that did it. And Poirot responds by telling Hastings (laughs) to get the light. And as the lights come back on, in comes Jap, who's heard everything.
2: Boom. And turns out it wasn't actually the ghost of Jonathan Maltravers that was walking towards them. It was only Norton in a wax mask from the Bloody mm. Wax Museum. And he had the time of his life, the role of a lifetime, and he (laughs) nailed it. So everyone's very happy with him.
1: What I really like as well is that when you see them, when you see the figure walking across, you're like, oh, that's got to be Jap dressed up. And as he gets nearer, you go, oh, no, that's actually him. Yeah. Because, you know, they've used, obviously, the actor to do it. But then they've taken this amazing wax impression of his face that looks just like him. So it's like you you never for one minute go, oh, that's someone else walking. You don't really... Yeah. yeah
2: for a second you're like are they weekend at burning bernising this thing <laughs> Have they like got
1: his corpse and like duh,
2: duh, duh, along but no it's Norton in a wax mask and it's very convincingly done as you say it's
1: good he's got a torch down his shirt
2: <laughs> up lighting very unflattering but very good for spooky spooky vibes <laughs> Jap comes in and he goes to take Susan away and Captain Black says to Susan did you do this for me
5: Susan You did this for me.
2: For you. (laughs) The response is so cold.
1: Mm. It's my favourite sick burn of the episode. It's great. It's a really sick burn.
2: And it's because it's essentially she's committed another murder right on the spot when she laughs in his face (laughs) and says, ow. He
1: is deceased. Yeah. Yeah. We all were. Jesus. Turns out that um, she killed him for the money. Mm. And uh, she's been trying to kill him for a long time by uh, exacerbating this internal hemorrhage and making him terrified and on edge and nervous and which would all exacerbate this hemorrhage but then the doctor obviously delivered the news that you might as well you know, don't hardened. worry about it because it's not as serious as you think because he's not going to die like that which caused her to panic we'll let Poirot explain it though because it's
3: fantacular Mademoiselle Rawlinson you are at the bank Monsieur Danvers at work in another part of the garden and so she took her chance the rook rifle with its tiny bullets was the murder weapon parfait the bullet it is embedded in a brain and the effect it is complete the internal hemorrhage that is fatal For the moment she conceals the weapon in the hedge and in so doing she disturbs the nest and the eggs of the blackbird. Her plan to remove it later is foiled because there was, keeping watch in the garden, a police constable. The body she then drags to the foot of the tree to make us believe he had seen something up there which brought upon his attack tragic. With the arrival of Hercule Poirot, she starts to panic because she knows that I suspect the murder. And so she stages the clumsy affair with the chloroform in the gas mask to make us believe that her own life was under threat.
2: So, TLDR, as the kids say on Reddit. Susan (laughs) basically found him on the stone bench asleep. She opened his mouth, she popped the rifle in and shot him with one of the tiny little bullets of the uh, the rook rifle as it's called
1: that Mr. Dambers was using at the beginning
2: killing mm-hmm. the birds yes and it mm. embedded one of the little tiny bullets in his brain and caused an internal hemorrhage which is why he was bleeding from the mouth when they found him she then hid the gun in the bush and disturbed the nest of birds which is why we found the eggs on the, fr- on the ground because they all fell out of the nest Uh, She had planned to go back and get the gun, but the policeman was always bloody there under the tree, which is why she kept looking out staring at the tree because she was waiting for her opportunity to. And then she dragged his body over by the tree to make people think that he'd been scared to death, as uh, we discussed earlier. And then she chloroformed herself with the gas mask to divert suspicion away from her because someone's after her too. So that is a very brief summary of how she did it.
1: Very evil plot wasn't it yeah pretty clever she oh. waits till he's awake yeah as well she waits till his eyes open yeah so that he can look at her in terror and then she plugs him with the with the rifle just so he's got that terrified look on his eyes it's pretty bleak so, yeah pretty evil but poirot was finally tipped off as to you know the proof by the appearance of the painting wasn't he do you want to explain what he saw sure
2: well this obviously proves that poirot is a genius and he knows everything because when he looked at the painting according to the time of day that this all this occurred the shadows would have been on the other side of all the trees and things in the painting so i wouldn't have noticed that because i don't know about these sorts of things but poirot did and so that was what sealed mm. it for him it was mm. that painting must have been done previously
1: also the day <laughs> that they chose to film that scene was very overcast, and there weren't any <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, what if it was, it like was raining
2: and everything? That would have been annoying.
1: Mm. <laughs> but do
2: you want to explain where she got the idea for this from? Because it's actually very clever.
1: Yeah, it's very clever. At the beginning, that Nairobi Kenya newspaper <laughs> that, uh, was wrapping the gift that Captain Black brought for Susan to the house. The front page story was about a man who'd committed suicide in Kenya uh, by walk? using a rook rifle. Yes. <laughs> uh, Poirot had actually spotted the story when Hastings was turning it over, Me remarking, Poirot had spotted this front page story. So when the same thing happened to Mr. Maltravers, he deduced correctly that Mrs. Maltravers, who was sort of panicking at the fact that her husband wasn't dropping down dead um, from fright every time she went into the, one of these crazy acting binges, as as the actress and as the character yes (laughs) um so she so she saw this story on the front of this piece of newspaper that her gift had arrived in and copied it basically so yes
2: i really like the idea of susan following him around being like ah like trying to scare him all the time like (laughs) (laughs) like bursting balloons and popping paper bags and things and nothing was doing it so she had to, to settle for the old rifle but very effective
1: um lastly the, the the last clue that probably needs a slight explanation is why was the mirror bleeding oh this God. is the only thing i think um sort of trips this up because yes she's relaying this story to poirot you know the only other person who saw it is dead anyway she could have just made it up but apparently no she did it for real yeah it was one of those things she was trying to freak her husband out with, with what war- that
2: yeah that that for me was a bit of a hole with the, because she used her watercolor paints to get the drip uh, and also would Jonathan Maltravel have been like well that's paint that's your paint you did that yeah
1: <laughs> paint you did it yeah. why are you,
2: ruining your, why are you <laughs> doing that to your mirror that's stupid yeah you're right yeah. she could have just made it up and not yeah. actually physically done it but I wish they had shown her dripping paint <laughs> on the mirror and then going oh
4: Mm. After she's done
1: it. (laughs)
2: Sadly, they don't. But yeah, that that was a weird detail that wasn't really needed, was it?
1: Yeah, I think they could have just dropped that one. Either that or Hastings could have said, oh, and she did the mirror herself. And Poirot could have gone, no, it just never happened. She just made it up.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true.
1: Anyway, yes, um, we're at our final day at the lovely market village. And uh, Poirot (laughs) has got his two best mates along (laughs) to show off his effigy at the wax museum i love this ending what do you think of oh
2: it's a classic renwick beautiful ending isn't it (laughs) it's perfect he he because he's trying to play it cool and not be like come and look at my wax works he's like let's go to the wax machine it's so good isn't it after earlier being like i do not understand the british fascination with wax scarecrows or whatever the hell he calls it he drags (laughs) him in and it's perfect isn't it
1: yes because uh he takes him into the hall of moustaches doesn't he (laughs) um, point points out his beautiful effigy and they seem very keen, don't they? Very impressed. And it's revealed they're not actually looking at him, they're looking at his neighbor, a little effigy of Charlie Chaplin.
3: Well, I suppose we'd better be leaving. Catch our train. Oh, no, 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 Chief Inspector. It is still early, and the exhibits here are quite remarkable, Nesta. To be immortalized in such a fashion unique. Ah, quel honor. Now, oh, I wonder what is around here. <laughs>
5: Oh, very impressive. Quite incredible. It's a masterpiece. A true work of art. That's his curly hair to a T. Even got the little dimples on his cheeks, look. A real piece of craftsmanship, wouldn't you say? <laughs>
1: is of course horrified that they're not fawning over him. <laughs> it's great as well on the way out, isn't it? Because Hastings, hey things, doesn't he? Sort of do his tie
2: and Jap knocks a hat.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> like I've always wanted to do that. Punching <laughs> 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 <While> <laughs> it,
2: kicking this <laughs> out of it. <laughs>
1: but yeah, it's such
2: a, a cute, charming little, nice ending, isn't it?
1: Mm, really beautiful. perfect.
2: Oh, what an episode! Yeah. This was great.
1: It's a really great episode. Yeah, I'm really glad I watched it again this morning because. The details are very important, yeah. and um, it's good to have them fresh in my mind. Yes. Usually I'm going, oh, yeah, that happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Not at all. He's always a hurry on it, listeners. He's always very, very
4: prepared.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, it's a yeah, it's a really, really good one. Really fun. Hey, listener, did you solve this one? Did you get it? Tell us about it. Uh, you can send us a message on our social channels at of Hercule podcast, or you can email us at, at com. Hey, Adam. What's the next episode going to be?
1: It's the double clue. Ooh. Mm. Not one. That's a good one, yeah.
2: But two clues.
1: Yeah. And we're going to be introduced to a very important recurring character.
2: Yes. Mm. Oh. So, yeah exciting
1: great. can't wait <laughs> me
2: too well thanks for listening everyone and for joining us on this spooky yeah. little adventure Ooh. Spooky. it's
1: great <laughs> uh, yes um uh, double clue it's a really fantastic uh, episode coming up as well season three is proving to be quite strong isn't very it? very
2: strong very consistent yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. well name that renwick influence
1: yeah i know god blimey i think yeah let's hope he does the next one as well I'm not gonna look until we watch it. <laughs> as always it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you frankie
2: likewise thank you
1: and uh, until next time if you want to get in touch do so at bonjour of or through our socials if you don't know them by right now then no.
2: yeah, that's a song in that
1: you will never ever ever know them.
2: <laughs> And as we uh, mentioned, if you could drop us a little review if you're enjoying the podcast, we'll read it out, and you'll also get our undying love forever. So mm. incentive, and we will read it out and have yeah, give you lots of praise. So please do. Cool. <laughs> Only if you're enjoying it. I don't want to hear anything else. Thank you. <laughs> oh,
1: nice. Cool. Well, we'll see you next time, folks. Au revoir.
4: Bye. <laughs> Perfect.
3: If
1: you'd like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter or X or whatever that numbskull's called it now at Labours Hercule. We're also on Instagram if you like pictures at Labours of Hercule. And we're on threads at Labours of Hercule. And if you were born in the 1920s yourself, I was. You can be all old fashioned and email at Bonjour at the labors of Hercule.com. That's it from us. See you next time. Au revoir, mes amis.
0: As a long time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlaz,